Smart Firefighting Community, welcome to a mini series of content collaboration that we're doing with the First Responder Smart Tracking Challenge held out of the Crisis Innovation Technology Lab at the University of Indiana. Special shout out to my co-host in this content, Kirk McKenzie, with the guidance from Sonny Kirkley and David Wilde to create this content to give you insights about the different challenges and opportunities about this challenge. This challenge is all about indoor tracking. This has been the holy grail that everyone talks about, and we need to continue to break down these barriers and work together and be a piece of the puzzle to solve this big problem. A special shout out as well to Resultant R2 Network and Generator that are supporting this, and especially the funding that's coming from the Public Safety Communications Research Lab, over $5 million of funding that's going to you, the challengers, the competitors in this competition. The different thought leaders that we'll be interviewing on this podcast have different perspectives from a chief, from a captain, from a firefighter, from insurance, from just all around fire service knowledge. So gain some insights from this and use it to apply to the challenge and make sure to check out frstchallenge.com and enjoy this podcast series. So grateful to have Chief Nam with us. Chief, you've been a, absolutely a mentor and somebody I've, I've idolized your knowledge on building construction for a long time, and I believe 45 years in the industry. Really grateful to have you here today. Thank you. Oh, you're certainly welcome. My pleasure. Thanks. And as you tour around well, the nation, if not the world, I'm not sure how far your work goes at talking to first responders about building construction and, and the related processes when we're in the, the active putting the wet stuff on the red stuff. My guess is you've considered that knowing where personnel are is important. Is there any particular calls you've been involved with or investigations you've been on or something like that, where, or maybe several that you might want to speak on the, the importance of knowing X, Y, and Z location? Well, I think as we have become more sophisticated and being meaning we, the fire service, and the profession itself for the entire ancillary and the primary areas of the fire protection profession, we have become more astutely aware of the dramatic needs that are imposed upon us to know where our personnel are within the built environment. And when we talk about the 3D elements of a built structure and occupancy, I think the pinnacle element in our generation of the fire service were the uh, issues that came out of the Worcester uh, fire in uh, 1999. And we've always known that there's been challenges regarding identifying the location, the proximity, the movement of our personnel, and the challenges that come about as a result of that from firefighter fatalities and line of duty deaths. So there's been twofold, two things that have been folded into this over the last 25 to 30 years. I think first and foremost, the exposure in 1999, both in terms of technology regarding the event in Worcester. So in December of 1999, the Worcester mass fire occurs. We lose six firefighters in a uh, old structure, building of type three, type four construction, which had some significant challenges at best to it, of which those challenges were well known to the department for many, many years. And the tie-in here from a technology standpoint is that we, the fire service, became aware of that event rather quickly due to the emergence of the internet at that time. And firehouse.com in its early days, uh, as it was being developed at that point in time, gave us some almost as close to real time at that time frame of information. So we got very much, much more knowledge, much more insights as the event was occurring. So now we fast forward 
that event and its anniversary has recently come about and what has transpired through NIOSH reports, near-miss reports, line-of-duty deaths, both nationally and internationally, continues to stress the importance of personnel location, personnel activities, movement within the structure, coupled with all of the other needs from a building intelligence and information standpoint system. So we have this continuing movement of personnel, activities, operations, and the continuing risk that the built environment is imposing upon us. So, you know, I think that all in all, we all have those events that we personally can relate back to from the job on an individual or regional uh, basis, our own close calls. And then when we start percolating that back up to the state and then to the national level, I think we have all become much more literate to the incidences, the close calls, and those that actually did result in very adverse events, either the close call near miss injuries or the adverse events that, that led to either single or multiple line of duty deaths as a either direct or corollary result of movement through the building. And that's why when we take a look at the whole issues dealing with I-axis movement, all of the, the elements of a 3D element in that built environment, it becomes it's easy to start tracking and implementing some of the technology that's been around for quite a while in terms of just physical movement across a particular plane. It's when we get into the challenges of that vertical and into the, the I-axis elements that I think we're discussing and, and moving towards, that becomes a challenge. Coupled with the other challenge is that we may have some technology available to us and some understandings, but now we've got building issues that continue to stress us to no end in terms of materials and technologies and methods of, of construction and, and so on and so forth. So we are learning and I think we're accepting the challenge to, hey, let's find a better way to figure this all out and let's not wait until tomorrow. Let's move forward through some initiatives and actions. And I think some of those initiatives are what we are going to be talking about here, right? In the next get-go here, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And it's, it's so great to know that Competitors are putting forward their letters and their, and just so you know a little more background, it is a five phase challenge. The final prize will be a million or more dollars, and there'll be no elimination in the first couple of rounds. And then people will be able to go and field test their equipment, denied infrastructure, right? They, they'll have to be able to do it all on their own. And it really inspiring to be able to, to speak to such an expert in this. I'm thinking back to when we when I started, we moved from just the captain having the radio to everyone having the radio. And we thought that would fix it. Well, no, it doesn't. And then we moved to a Velcro Fireground Accountability Tracking Tech. So allegedly we knew who was on which apparatus at any given time. Was that is is this going to fix it? Well, it's a good step, but it's not going to fix it. And this is one facet of the greater ecosystem. And so for our, our startups and our enterprise teams and first responder agencies who will We'll partner on this. And it's, the intent is to have it be one big collaboration and there, there'll be siloed teams, but, but everyone's welcome to play together. Any wisdom from you on how do you get like maybe a, a multi-jurisdiction, a big drill? How do you get different agencies to work together on a big drill? This is a big drill with money on the table yeah. to know where our personnel are. Any advice on bringing together various teams? I think to, anyone that has some potential opportunities afforded to them through this, this particular activities. Number one, first needs to not be afraid to venture out. Tapping the technology, there are many 
metropolitan areas, both large and small, small cities to the large urban environments that have incubator units of business and technology-based uh, enterprises. And those are typically the first point in contact that I always try to seek out. I always monitor some of the business journals, the activities, and certainly in our metropolitan area to see what's sort of gelling, what's coming up, what's percolating, what's the newest academia concept that has come out of academia that now has put been put into the uh, incubator, per se, within these particular uh, tech basins. And as a result of that, these startups have tremendous ideas, enthusiasm, and insights that are not challenged or limited by some of the self-imposed paradigms that we have. So in other words, the sky's the limit, and they are moving forward and creating some very innovative thought processes and elements, or I'm trying to think, it's, it's not so much the hardware, but the conceptual elements and, and its application and whatever it is that they are selling, building, or developing, again, both hard and soft. I think the fire service in particular, when we talk about that profession, needs to reach out to the other ancillary businesses, the startup, the incubators, the technology gardens that are out there and ask some questions about, hey, what is it that you're doing? And here's, or more importantly, ask the question, here's what we have the challenges of and have an open type of question. Here's what the challenges are. What is it that, that you guys can bring forward? Or what is it that you're doing that can suddenly be that drop of that puzzle piece that fits in that starts creating the mosaic of the picture? So that is first and foremost, because they are typically the cutting edges of what's occurring, and they're doing it in such a very quiet, unencumbering manner. They're, they're out there. We just don't know about it. So I think the traditional standpoint of collaborations that are formal and so forth within the fire service profession are challenging at best and, and no longer applicable. We really have to leap and bound ourselves outside of that type of formality. And I would also state to do so in an unofficial manner. So it's not so much to open up those official channels. Sometimes it's just a cold phone call by a particular individual of rank or without rank and just ask some questions and start lighting that fire because you would be surprised at what can... Uh, suddenly transpose and become identified over a cup of coffee or just an innocuous, hey, yeah, come on down to our office. And you're moving all of the, it almost looks like the frat house type of environment, but it is that kind of synergy that exists within these environments that the collaboration is almost immediate. I would say this, I had the opportunity to um, have some conversations with a notable startup here not too long ago. And coming in as the fire service outsider, Although they were dealing with fire service related issues, very similar to what we're discussing here on this particular uh, segment, they knew about the fire service, they knew about some of the players, but never had the opportunity to talk to some of us face to face. So number one, they were thrilled at doing that. And then they're trying to, again, connect what they envision conceptually, as well as those, those elements that are in the prototypical standpoint. And they're trying to understand our lexicon, but the more we talk to them, the more they're becoming confident in what they're trying to identify to get us to understand more. And then the more they talk, the more we are recognizing that they may not apparently see the potential. And that is so, so great because it's like that, that smoke lifts and we suddenly are seeing some things that they aren't seeing, or they suddenly see some things only because they have gotten clarity, terminologies and applications and some things that they just don't know about. You know, when we bring our whatever length of time on the job. And certainly the 2030, I think when you surpass the 20-year mark, so 
the fire service over the last 20 years is what it is. But the fire service and where it's come from, from the 90s, and certainly if I talk about the 80s and 90s, so that 20-year period in combination with our current 20-year period, that 40-year span of technology and advancements and, and moving forward, is sort of we have to understand where we've come from, what we've developed, why we went down certain paths. We sort of understand that decision tree process. It also provides the opportunity to not try to reinvent the wheel and just move forward in such an expeditious manner. I mean, leaps and bounds, leaps and bounds. And again, it's such a thrilling thing to see when, when these entrepreneurs have a idea in concept and are really struggling or trying very diligently to get proof and process, and they just don't understand the emergency management fire protection system other than what they've read and maybe had a few conversations with some of us. But there's not enough of us that have been able to influence them to move them forward. So it's a little bit of a bunch of things. And, and Kirk, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, you know, it's it's exactly where we're at. And I think we just have to be able to talk a little bit about it and then open up to what they're providing and then just continuously connect these dots. So if anybody has these ideas on either side of the fence, the entrepreneurs, the fire service, and any ancillary or direct areas on the fire service profession, it's just a matter of a phone call or a face-to-face. And I think the face-to-face is first and foremost, but sometimes that text message or phone call or whatever it may be, just to open the doors at first step and then just move forward, move forward. Don't be afraid. I really appreciate, and I'm going to hand it to Kevin. I really appreciate your encouraging and welcoming tone, you know, like the average firehouse knock on the door, door opens. Yeah. Do you mind if I have them, you know, take a minute? Oh, absolutely. You know, you want to be in the apparatus room or you want a cup of coffee at the round table and come on in. So thank you for that. And I, I know Kevin's got a question. Sure. We're also watching your time. I know you've got some other things to get to, Chief. Thank you so much. We're good. We're good. One thing that, that stuck with me there when your comments, Chief, was the conversation on engaging with ancillary organizations. So that could be civilians, residential households and businesses. And you've seen the rise of electric cars and and, now, and the solar panels. And while these are all great, there's all these different externalities that are caused when we introduce something new. And oftentimes it always seems to come back and sit and it's always the first responders that are one that are kind of holding the bag, dealing with what happens when something goes wrong. And within this, I'd like to kind of get your spin on this with but the focus on indoor tracking and knowing where first responders are inside of a building in regards to proximity to being able to better suppress the fire with the proximity, knowing where they, to actually get in or get out. Why is indoor tracking something that is so important to allow first responders to better respond and just better serve the community at large within the constantly changing landscape? Well, when we talk about indoor tracking, we talk about uh, location-based services or LBS. NAPSIG, as one organization that we've been working very closely with, NIST, has really been trying to identify best practices. So number one, there are a lot of things occurring on the national landscape that are moving that ball forward. I think we all can attest to the need for efficiency within the built environment, especially when we talk about location-based services, both from a suppression and rescue standpoint. Number one, we need to better serve our civilian public, both in the in the public setting as well as in the private residential setting, a variety of different occupancies, to be able to initiate actions in a more expedited standpoint. In other words, our tactical window of operation continues to be drawn smaller and smaller, which gives us limiting opportunities to 
do two things, potentially save a life. Secondly, to suppress, control, and mitigate ensuing fire conditions. The other part of that is the challenges of the built environment regarding the complexities of construction and the usage of various types of materials and the continuing evolving state of architecture, engineering, fire protection, and building usages. So buildings are becoming more complex, whether you talk about a single family residential or a super tall high rise. And with that being said, we on the fire service side of it need to be much more efficient in that capability. Therefore, that need for the ability to track movement of personnel in terms of safety of our personnel. I think it it's behooving of us to have what was predicated back in the 80s with Chief Alan Brunacini. We talked about risk management and safety. So safety in the mid-80s was a coined phrase in a variety of standpoint. That has evolved significantly into a functional area in many different elements. So life safety, risk management of the public, life safety, risk management of the uh, fire suppression uh, forces that are dealing with incidences within the building. And, that, and again, it's all hazard-related related elements, but it's so, so critical as the complexity of the building increases, our need to manage those resources in a safe manner in a very hostile environment that is becoming much more risk-prone that further puts demands on the life safety of our people. I mean, we cannot be, we can no longer be tolerant to the increasing civilian loss of life, nor can we be tolerant to a firefighter line of duty death. We have technology that can be adaptive or directly designed for its application. We just need to be keenly aware of how that application can help us. So I go back to some of the elements with uh, NAPSIG in particular, uh, they, we have, and I, and the reason I say this is that I've had the opportunity to work with NAPSIG and the good folks that are in collaboration with NIST uh, in that standpoint to help identify those best practices. And those best practices are, is, uh, are being developed and born for the ability for the fire service in particular or any of the uh, emergency service and emergency management organizations, whether it be law enforcement, military, support, direct support, and so forth. Number one, to understand it. And that actually comes back on the heels. I think, Kurt, when we when we had uh, when I listened in on the roundtable for Op Central, the references back to the NIST special publications that research roadmap for smart firefighting, which again is uh, five. It's almost seven years old in terms of its publication back in 2015. But it gave us the roadmap for those that were intuitive enough to recognize what was out there to ho- hopefully set us up. Well, the same thing with uh, NAPSIG and the. Um, National Alliance for Public Safety, that whole I-axis movement of identifying what is it that we can do, whether it be from a mapping standpoint, consistency and symboling, the best practices of what already has been developed and implemented so that we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We can just build upon those successes and move forward. It goes back, I think, Kevin, to one of the things that you mentioned is that the fire service has always been much more reliant on soak time. In other words, something comes out, hey, we can't act upon it too quickly. Let's take some time to let it all sink in and soak in. Let's see what our neighbors are doing. Let's see what this department is doing across the country, down the street, wherever it may be. I don't think we have that luxury anymore. We have the immediacy of taking something that's out there and seeing how it can be applied to our particular jurisdictions. And that, I think, is critical to any success adapt the technology, adapt the concepts and the the elements of what's before us, adapt it to to your needs. Don't so much try to shoehorn it in, but 
manipulate it so that you're taking the best of what is being provided to meet your particular challenges currently, and then those challenges that may be coming about in the not too distant future as you project it outwards. But you know, when you're waiting for some of that that magic product or process to suddenly drop in to meet your particular municipality or fire protection district or city or municipal needs, it'll never happen because there's always going to be something that was developed for one group or one particular area, and it's not going to always be homogenous. So we can't be afraid to invest the time and energies and the financial elements there to see what we can do. And don't be afraid to, to also say, hey, look, if it didn't work, let's go to the next uh, the next particular product or idea and concept and so forth to see what works. We've got to be very open toward it. And we can't be afraid of what technology is providing us. And and, I, and we're seeing it. You know, we're so quick to say, oh, my gosh, you know, the sky is falling, the sky is falling with whatever the newest technology may be, whether it be, you know. And again, if we stop and think about the trends of various types of fuel sources and vehicles over the last 25 years, and you know this. So the last 25 years, we've seen some major changes going from just gas, energy, fuel devices to an entirely different type of system all the way to where we are now. And at each stage, with each particular evolution of technology, everybody kept saying, well, this is what's going to happen and how are we going to handle the emergencies and the fires and life safety and so on and so forth. But guess what? We handled it and handled it pretty well, pretty safely. It's just a matter of stopping to stop from becoming so uh, resistant to these changes and really embrace it. And I think that part of it is literacy. We just need to understand it. And again, I can't stress enough about just staying abreast of what a variety of different uh, individuals and organizations are communicating online. I think the research information, again, I revert back to uh, research roadmap for smart firefighting as being one of the primers in getting that understanding, although it's a little bit aged, but it's still a good starting point to sort of see where we're at for those that don't know where we're at. And again, just open up. So I'm very, very encouraged by this initiative. And more so, I would encourage those that are listening and those that are thinking about, hey, do I really have a product that can meet the needs? And I don't want to you know, uh, have this initiative fall flat without taking it all the way to uh, you know, testing and, and potential piloting. I think we've got to be very bold with our initiatives. And I would encourage those that those entrepreneurs and those that have some, whatever that product may be, especially when we talk about the aspects here of tracking systems in particular, they, they are much needed within our built environment. And again, I can't stress the need from the smallest department all the way to the largest urban department, even on an international basis. You know, Kurt, you asked about some involvement. I've, I've seen and had the ability to collaborate and and really take a look at a lot of things on a on a very large scale, you know, high urban environment. The needs are paramount in those particular uh, jurisdictions and urban areas, but they also end up landing back down to the small little department in the heartland of America, of which some of that technology can be applicable, can be financially and budget accessible if we collaborate and just work these things and scale it back up to a larger level. So some cool stuff. So awesome to get your comments, Chief. Really inspiring on on so many levels. Thanks for mentioning the NIST roadmap from Casey Grant and the NIST and NFPA teams. It's still very relevant in my mind, right? We haven't built it. So, right, well, maybe going on seven years old, it still (laughs) needs to be done. I know you have another call to get to. Before your closing thought, I wanted to mention, I just talked to a big city firefighter who's saying, you know, my captain says when we get to the fire floor, whatever it is, maybe it's the fifth floor, we get to the fire floor, 
there is active fire. They want two things, water and information. And your last response was perfect to understand how the firefighter's location, albeit one one piece of that puzzle, it's some information that's going to be useful on this really, really important ecosystem. So thank you for your comments, Chief. You're surely welcome. I know you've got other things to run to. Any closing comments? And, and again, and with appreciation. You know, Kurt, I think, uh, you know, when we talk about being able to track and locate our personnel, that, that significant resource, coupled with the whole building information management, modeling, and other elements, we have gone so far beyond just pre-fire planning and having a little bit of what we used to call building intel. It has mushroomed into something so much more than that. I think the concepts and many of the other attributes that come out of smart firefighting and the whole elements that that are drawn out of it are going to give us the necessary tools as we continue to move forward in the years ahead to be able to continue to provide the service to the public at large and to those that work within our particular municipalities and cities and urban environments, whatever that environment may be, just to be able to do smart firefighting, for, for better words, with a variety of different inputs the end of the day, it's, it's much more than just stretching the line and going in blindly. It really has to become smart firefighting in such a vast standpoint. And there's just so much to that, to those couple of words, right? Smart firefighting has so many different elements, but I think the important, the, the level of importance of understanding where we're at within that hostile environment or any environment as it goes from a safe environment to an IDLH or, or a, a hazardous environment just takes a lot of information and, and we have accessibility to so much of that information. But at the end of the day too, I have the accessibility of that information, but the importance of knowing where our personnel are and being able to command, control and initiate the right actions comes about through good information exchange, communications that's still gonna manually place our personnel in that environment. And I think that that actually is, is sort of gonna be my, my end term here is that when we talk about uh, you know, knowing where they're at in that environment and what they're doing and, and just having smart firefighting. At the end of the day, we still have to place our personnel in these hostile environments. Manual firefighting will never completely go away. So there really is the cusp of, of why this is so important when we talk about personnel locations and, and location-based systems within that environment. We need to know where they're at. We need to have an appreciation of what they're going to be doing and how they're going to be doing it in order to maintain their safety. So we're always going to be in buildings. I, I can never see us not being in them. And again, there's a lot of caveats to that. So hopefully our audience understands it, but we're going to be in those environments doing some different things. And it's going to be critical for incident managers and emergency uh, managers, both on the fire and emergency management side, to understand where those resources may be, especially as the incident continues to evolve into a larger, more complex uh, condition. So it may be just that small, single floor commercial fire on the 50th floor. It may be that single couple of room apartment on the 80th floor of a high rise. It may be that uh, massive commercial fire in a couple of rooms on a three or four million square foot commercial complex that has a large footprint. So it's out there, we just need to put it all together. So I think it's phenomenal. I really encourage our listeners to move forward with the initiative. I really thank both of you for allowing me to to talk a little bit of it. I really look forward to seeing what comes out of the potential awardees. I mean, this is gonna be phenomenal. So uh, thanks so very much. And 
Again, you can see my enthusiasm. This is all great stuff when we talk about built environment, firefighting, protecting the public. And then more importantly, the initiative that this is providing. I mean, we have a phenomenal opportunity for those that are hopefully going to take the challenge and put their best foot forward with the their ideas and concepts and just move that fall, move that ball all the way downfield. So thanks again, guys. Thank you so much, Chief. I can see the letters being written right now to apply. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm looking Chief. forward to seeing it. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Kurt. Really Have appreciate it. Have a great it. day, Talk, sir. Talk Thank to you. you guys later. Thanks again. Okay. Appreciate it. Take care. Well, I'd like to thank all our speakers that gave their heartfelt and expert opinions on how important it is to have the X, Y, and Z location of first responders in the time of intervention, in the heat of the moment when lives are in the balance and time is fleeting. I'd like to thank those who have been watching and considering, do they want to be part of this really, really important challenge that happens to have $5.6 million at the table, more than a million dollars for a first place prize. See if you can get to meter accuracy. Please join the challenge to my co-host, Kevin. Thank you so much for being part of this. Any final words from you? Yeah, and I think a couple of things that we heard today, a couple of key phrases, focus on the outcome. Don't be afraid to just be a piece of the puzzle. There are many different dynamics going on in the whole realm of entrepreneurship. And this is a problem that has a lot of different factors. So if you got an idea, and even if it's something still just on a napkin sketch, come to the table. As you look on the screen here, $5.6 million. It's a lot more than $0. And that money is out there for you to get it. So if you're an entrepreneur or even just someone that has a, an idea, come to the table. The first challenge needs you. And we're excited to see you. And can't wait to see this whole challenge come to life. And to the public safety agencies out there, get a personnel, spend a few hours with the competitors and help them help you save a life.